and welcome to another weekly edition of Popcorn Optional, a movie podcast where we talk all things movies. Tonight we're going to be doing a review of Pixar's new film, Coco. We're also going to be talking about the 2018 Independent Spirit Award nominations, uh, Lady Bird and Rotten Tomatoes. We'll also give you an update on our Rotten Tomatoes uh, guesses from November, as well as doing our guesses for December. We're going to regretfully throw in a mini review of Olaf's Frozen Adventure, after which we will then get into our review of Coco, and with our content of the week as always. My name is Cameron Sleen, and tonight I'm joined by my co-hosts Jake Brown and Trevor Allison. What's up? Heyo! Alrighty, well, let's go ahead and get into the 2018 Independent Spirit Award nominees and the significance behind this, because we're not just going to sit here and announce all the nominees for everything, but the Independent Spirit Award nominees are, are interesting for uh, one in particular reason, and that's that five of the past six Best Picture winners at the Academy Awards have also been the winner of the Independent Spirit Award winner for Best Picture. So all the way back to 2011, The Artist won, 2013, 12 Years a Slave, 2014, Birdman, 2015, Spotlight, 2016, Moonlight. The only one that wasn't was 2012, Silver Linings Playbook won at the Independent Spirit Awards, and Argo won Best Picture. Now this year, it comes down to we have five films uh, nominated. They are Call Me By Your Name, the Florida Project, Get Out, Lady Bird, and The Writer, which I have not heard of. Um, but guys, if you're going to put your money on one of these, which one is it? Well, I've only seen one. <laughs> um, but based on the buzz, I'm going to say Lady Bird because I really want to see that. And that, like, that's like blowing people's minds. Yeah. Yeah, I've not seen any of them because I live in a black hole of independent cinema. <laughs> Um, they literally don't play here. Um, so, so I, I mean, I would love to see Lady Bird. I've been meaning to Redbox get out. Haven't got around to it. I will say in, in reference to the, the idea of this being a precursor for a best picture winner, these all feel especially indie like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like any of, I think a couple of these will get best picture nominees nominations i don't feel like any of these are a best picture oscar winner because they're just a little bit all the other ones even though they were indies like spotlight had like a massive cast you know like it wasn't it wasn't quite as as indie as some of these are if we could make india scale or a continuum or something it does feel like the independent spirit awards have a case of stick it to the man eosis if you will. Yeah. To quote the great <laughs> Ned Schneeble. Ned Schneeble, actually. Schneeble. Um, it is interesting that, right, I should say, I mean, these all, all these films feel very Oscar-y, like you said, but it's when you look back at the past couple of years, Spotlight and Moonlight both kind of got their buzz, like, in, like, January. Like, right as about the, right before the nominations were going to come out, it was they kind of took off then and they weren't huge before that. I mean, there was positive buzz, but it wasn't like they were front runners. And so it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to pick one out from here. I would just love to see Get Out get nominated for Best Picture. Um, that's the only one I've seen. Lady Bird is now playing in Dallas. So I'm going to try and see that this weekend. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the uh, Call Me By Your Name and the Florida Project aren't in the DFW area. And the writer is a foreign film, if I'm not mistaken. And I have, you know, it's American, um, but I have yet to hear really anything about it. 
So who knows? Maybe the writer is this year's whatever and ends up being the one that takes everyone by surprise. Um, but this kind of leads into our next subject, which is that Lady Bird is now the best reviewed film of all time on Rotten Tomatoes, overtaking uh, Toy Story 2. So the record was that Toy Story 2 had 163 reviews, all positive. Now Lady Bird has 164 reviews, all positive. So guys, we can all agree that Lady Bird is now the definitive best film of all time, right? Yeah, obviously. Obviously. So here's what I think happened here. The, this film is just so delightful that even people who want to be contrary can't even write something against it because there are some films sometimes they get like a 92, 93, 94, and you're like, what is wrong with you? Like who gave this a negative review? Yeah. So apparently this is just, this just leaves you in such a delightful, wonderful mood that you can't even be intentionally contrary about it. I should say before we review it, we should probably figure out how to say the lead's name. Um, I'm not even going to try. I won't do it. I think it's Sersha. Sersi. Sersha. Sersha Ronan. There we go. <laughs> but yeah, so Is that's... Ronan? Ronan. I think you got to say it with an Irish accent. Right? And so. <laughs> Spot on. Um, thank you. Thank you. That is my bit for the night. Um, Wikipedia says, says Sersha. Sersha. Hmm. S-U-R-S-H-E. That's the pronunciation key. Sersha. Sersha. Okay. Okay. Well, now we know. So now we can review this film at some point. Um, Man, I had no idea that Toy Story was that highly reviewed, or Toy Story 2, I should say, was that highly reviewed, but way to go, Lady Bird. And it'll be interesting to see what happens come uh, the Academy Awards, because normally, at least in years past, films that have been this well-received early on have normally gone on to not be and not end up being the best picture winner. Like every year there's that front runner. Like last year it was La La Land. Everybody was like La La Land's the best film of all time. It's like revolutionary. And then come Academy Awards night, it gets not upset, but kind of shocked by moonlight. So sometimes having positive buzz up front isn't always the best thing. And here's the thing. We have a Spielberg historical drama with Hanks and Streep in it coming too. Which so that's, feels like the most Oscar Beatty thing you could possibly ever say, but it actually looks good. <laughs> so No, I, I mean it, it does look good. It doesn't look it looks way better than Warhorse. You hold your tongue, good sir. Do you like Warhorse? No, I don't. <laughs> okay. I was about to be like, really, this and Avatar? Are we gonna have to do this again? We're just going to do one podcast of all the films that Cameron likes that everybody else hates, (laughs) and I'm fine with it. War Horse is like, it's like a Spielberg movie without any life put into it. It's like a, yeah, it's it's terrible. It's like a computer. It's like a computer mimicked everything that Spielberg does. Well, you know why? That's what we got. Because a horse can't act. It's not a person. I dare say that you should go see Black Beauty because that sh- would change your opinion. Black but it's about, it's about a person's relationship to a ho- war horse. Is just like, this is a horse in a war. And you're like, oh, poor Jake, horse. It's about multiple people's then, relationships to a horse. I, 
I know, but then all that, horse that, movies that, are bad. Yeah, it's a all rule. Horse, there we go. That's what Trevor said. I'm, the one, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, oh man, this poor horse. And then I'm like, oh poor me. There's another two and a half hours of this. You know, nope. I mean that's Sea Biscuit, Hidalgo. They're not good. Okay, Sea Biscuit. What? You guys don't like Sea Biscuit or Hidalgo? No. They're fine. They're just fine. They're never going to be great. They're just fine. <sighs> man, I am on the losing Hor- end of a lot of things tonight. Horses right. don't love you. Horses, horses, horses. What do you mean horses don't love you? I don't like horses, but I know that horses love people. No. <laughs> only That's dogs science. can love people. Dogs oh. are the only animals that can love people. Okay. Well, And I base that on nothing. This is episode two of Science Optional. <laughs> <laughs> science Optional. Guys, dogs are the superior animals that's science that's a fact okay. no that that's, that's a fact actually a scientific fact okay that's i'm glad that we cleared that out of the way we can all go home tonight guys it's been a great episode if you've liked listening to us all okay. right well let's go ahead and get off of this subject of which animal is superior um and go on to our segment of i'm gonna call it uh fantasy tomatoes because it's like fantasy football meets Rotten Tomatoes and us trying to guess Rotten Tomatoes scores. So fantasy tomatoes for, I hate that name. Why did I name it that? That's a terrible thing. We're going to have to come up with a different name. Rotten Fantasy. Rotten It's like a 50 Shades. It's like a Redbox ripoff version of Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fantasy yeah. tomatoes all right well let's go ahead so in november uh i ended up coming out on top eight to three because in the last week i had guessed 98 for coco trevor had guessed 91 ended up being a 96 i had guessed 50 for roman j israel trevor had guessed 55 came out at 53 so the final score was eight to three for the month of november now i'm changing the rules for this next month because after i had guessed Thor correctly the game was kind of over from there and that's not fun so now going forward the way this game works is if you guess the correct score directly on the score you only get three points that way if somebody guesses it it's not a game over kind of thing it's a pat on the back but by any means you can still come back you still have to play the rest of the month um, if you are the closest person to it, then you get one point. Like I said before, three points if you are directly on it. Um, so this month we have eight films that we are going to be reviewing. We decided not to do the disaster artist in the shape of water because as of the recording of this podcast, they both already are certified fresh at 98, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. And so that wouldn't be fun because we could all just guess that exact same number. Um, but we have eight films we're going to be going through. So let's start off with our first one. I, Tanya, Trevor, kick us off. What do you think? I, Tanya will be rated. Um, I I'm thinking like in, like in 86. Okay. I think it's going to be fun and weird and interesting, but it's not going to be for everyone. Okay. That's fair. Jake. I'm going to go 91. I think this is going to be like kind of the surprise hit of the year but like trevor said not everyone's gonna love it i'm gonna go higher than both of you and i'm gonna go to 93 because i think kind of what you guys both said but i think this is gonna play with critics at least very highly especially between margot robbie and allison janney um 
and just based on the trailer, this looks pretty awesome. Um, let's go ahead and get into our next trailer or our next film, which is Star Wars: The Last Jedi. And Jake, what do you think this film will be rated? I'm gonna go 90 because 90. yeah, I think a lot of people are gonna like it. Like based on the hype, it's it sounds to be fantastic, but you're just gonna have the haters. Haters, haters, haters. Okay, I'm gonna be very optimistic because Ryan Johnson's getting his own trilogy. I am guessing that based solely off of that, people are going to love this movie and their reviews are going to be pretty high up there. Um, I'm going to say that it ends up being a 97. Wow. So I think it'll be better reviewed. Force Awakens was at a 93. I think this will be even higher than that. Um, I'm going to say a 93, just right along with The Force Awakens. I mean, there's... Based on the things that have happened, like you talked about Ryan Johnson getting his own trilogy, there's no way this isn't just really like it's at worst really good. Um, <laughs> at the worst, it's and, a really good movie. <laughs> yeah. And people, I mean, people who like liking things and who people who like Star Wars are going to like it. So 93. There we go. That comes out December 15th. Also coming out December 15th is Ferdinand, the animated film about a bull that doesn't want to be a fighter starring John Cena. Uh, I'm gonna, a fighter. What? John Cena is a fighter. Yes. No, he's a fake fighter. Oh. All right. Sort of a fighter. Well, we can get into this later. Um, Ferdinand. <laughs> They're athletes. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> athletes. Okay. Say it. It's, it's a sport. Okay. Hopefully nobody that likes wrestling is listening to this. Okay. Uh, Ferdinand, I'm going to say is a 50. It's kind of meh. Nothing great about it. Nothing bad. I'm going to say 56. I think it's going to be perfectly cute and acceptable. <laughs> Already apparent. I'm going to say <laughs> a 30 because I Ooh. didn't know this movie existed. And then I watched the trailer and I was like, Ugh, no. But did it play a featurette in front of Coco for you? Because it did for me and it sold me on a 50. Yeah, mm. I saw that. <laughs> uh, and 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 I, I feel like I feel like um the the production company uh Blue Sky, that's who it is, I couldn't think of it. I feel like they just kinda nail perfectly mediocre animated films. Are they the ones that do Ice Age? Do they do all the Ice Age movies? Yeah, Ice Age and Rio. Yeah, there we go. That's exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> Alrighty, getting on to Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Trevor, what do you think this Dwayne the Rock film is going to get? Uh, this is going to get a 38. And Ooh. the little Rotten Tomatoes snippet is going to say, uh, it's going to say something about The Rock's charisma <laughs> and the hilarious cast not being enough to to overcome a sequel that didn't need to be made. Okay. Well, I'll give yeah. you I'll give you three points if it says something about The Rock's charisma in there. It's going to. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, I say forty-eight. I say forty-eight. Um, I think this movie is going to be one of those like guilty pleasure movies where it's like you don't like it, but it makes you laugh, and so you give it like fifteen extra points because of that. Wow. Okay. Fifty-eight or forty-eight. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and keep on the trend of eights and go sixty-eight. Uh, there was some early buzz for this movie that came out this week that was fairly positive. And I'm thinking that it will end up being well-received. 
Yeah. Uh, next up, that comes out December 20th in wide release. The Greatest Showman starring Hugh Jackman and Zac Efron, the new musical. Um, Jake, what do you think that film will get on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to say 70. 70? Yeah. Ooh. Okay, I'm kind of with you. I think it'll be pretty positive, but I think it's going to be a 75. Yeah, 75. Yeah, that's about the range where I was. Um, So I'll say, I don't know. I guess I'll say 73. Ooh. It, right in this doesn't... F- this doesn't feel like it's going to be that good, but people yeah. don't give really bad reviews to musicals. And true. musicals are either like you love them or you hate them. So if it's a musical, right. it's like, yay. And then there's like 20% of people that are like, no thanks. Yeah. This is this movie is definitely going to be disappointing for what it could have been. Yes. I'm already ready for that. I mean, it is, for what it's worth, whether or not you like La La Land, it is written by the guys, or the music is written by the people that wrote the music for La La Land. So... Take from that what you will. That comes out December 20th as well. Moving on to Pitch Perfect 3. Aka, excuse me? What are you guys giving this one, Jake? <laughs> I'm giving this an Aka 50 because that's, that's how many forced Aka jokes are going to be in it. <laughs> oh, this is this is going to be this is going to be bad. Yeah. It's going to be bad in a I think it, it's going to be as bad and in such a great way because this film did not be to need to be made and it's just going to be incredibly self-indulgent. I think it's going to get like a 28 Ooh. and have a couple pretty big YouTube view numbers on some music videos. <laughs> yeah, I was actually at a, I was actually at 50 also with Jake, but I, uh, you know, I'll take the positive and I'll go 51 and I'll, uh, I'll hope that it's a little bit better than middle of the road. Uh, That comes out December 22nd. So, you know, just all getting confused here. Next up is Downsizing, the new film starring Matt Damon about people getting shrunk. Because that sounds fun for everybody. (laughs) Um, Directed by Alexander Payne. Guys, where where are we sitting on this one? Uh, I'll go first. I think this film is going to end up being a 75. I think it's going to be okay. I don't think it's going to be great. It's going to be one of those films that's like people are going to walk out of it and be like, yeah, that was fun. And then they're going to forget about it. And 10 years from now, they'll be like, hey, remember that one film that Matt Damon did? Yeah, that was fun. That's about it. Yeah. I'm- I would agree with you, except that Alexander Payne is going to teach us something about ourselves in this movie, <laughs> which is why I'm going to give it an 89. Ooh, whoa. That's high. Uh, I'm going to go 79. All right. I agree with both of you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to sit right in the middle. I know how to sit on the fence. (laughs) All righty. That comes out December 22nd as well. Next up is the Steven Spielberg, Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks biopic, The Post. And I'm going to guess that we're all going to be pretty high on this one. So this may come down to a, a game of very small numbers. But Trevor, where are you at? Oh man. Um this there are going to be some people that are going to be contrary to be contrary, but this is a 97. Wow. Ooh, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> uh so I'll go I'll go 98. Well, this works out Woo-hoo. perfectly because I was going to say 96. So Well, there you go. 
Trevor, you Sorry, better hope Trevor. it's right on the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we can all agree this film's going to be pretty great. Uh, how well it's received by the masses is another subject, but it seems to be a very timely message from what early reviews have come out and said. Oh, critics um, are going to lose their mind over this. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there is going to be... I love that we're... I love that we're talking about a movie about a historical event from 40 years ago as being incredibly timely. It mm-hmm. says something about people's knowledge of civic matters. What's that I think. saying about history? If you know it, you won't, you'll repeat it. And that's good. Is that it? Something like that? No. History, you're bound, <laughs> you're bound to never repeat it. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's like poetry. It rhymes poetry. like Poetry. George Lucas is writing the history of the United States of America. If that's happening, then, you know, we're also getting aliens coming to us very soon. And, you know, George Lucas believes in all sorts of weird stuff like that. But he invented Star Wars. So you can believe whatever you want, George Lucas. Our last film, though, (laughs) is the Daniel Day-Lewis final acting performance directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Phantom Thread coming out on December 25th. I... So Inherent Vice, I looked this up today because I was curious. I was like, I don't think Inherent Vice was as well-received as people thought it was. Um, but There Will Be Blood was pretty well-received. Um, and so I'm going to sit right in the middle of those two. I'm going to say this gets an 83. Yeah, I have no idea what this movie's about. And based on the trailer, I have no interest in seeing it. But it's Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Thomas Anderson. So I'm going to give it an 89. <laughs> I was going to say, to me. <laughs> I to love me, Jake's yeah. like, I don't want to see it. doesn't look that interesting. Um, but it's, these two guys are in it, so it's, it's going to be good. Critics are going to love this, I man. Think, I, don't, I don't think. I think, Cam, Cam, you and I discussed this when Jake was gone. Um, I but, listen to everything, yeah, guys. I, I edit the episodes. It, like, no, I was no, I there in spirit. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, it's the same thing that I was saying, Jake. If if I watched this trailer and it was Jude Law instead of Daniel Day Lewis and I don't know Tom Hooper directing it, I'd be like, meh. <laughs> but that's like the perfect um, director for that joke, Tom Hooper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Trevor, where are you meh. sitting? So, um, but PTA plus. DDL equals 85 at minimum. That's just math. 85 at minimum. Okay. Well, that's... There we are. Those are our Rotten Tomatoes guesses for the month of December. We'll keep you updated throughout the month as we go on where we're sitting, who's in the lead, and who's in last place. But let's go ahead and get into our review of the short film that played before Coco and the TV episode that played before Coco, the 22-minute short film, Olaf's Frozen Adventure. The straight-to-DVD sequel. The straight-to-DVD sequel. The Christmas holiday TV uh, spe- special. What did you guys think Okay, so of- here's the thing. We're not making a joke. <laughs> like, it was an actual holiday special that got put in front of the movie. Oh, I- was it really? Yeah, that I wasn't kidding when I sent you guys that text. It was an actual thing that was supposed to play on ABC or a free form. And they were like, yeah, you know what? We <laughs> should put this in front of the first Disney film about Mexican culture. We're going to put the whitest film ever in front of a Mexican culture film for 30 minutes. So I, also, my movie started at four 
I arrived at 4.15 because I have to work. The thing started. The, my actual movie didn't start until 4.45. 45 wow. minutes. I was so mad. Also, also, this stole the opportunity for a Pixar short to get a mass audience. Yeah. And we know that Pixar shorts are great all the time, always. So this is, I have so many issues with it. And also, it wasn't good. <laughs> well, Trevor, yeah, I mean, you also it even... saw it in Spanish. Okay, so here's a funny story. <laughs> So I get to the theater. I um, I buy my ticket at the little kiosk with my movie pass. So that way no one gripes at me about it at AMC. And then I go to the theater. I sit down. I got there a little bit late on purpose. I was the only person in there. A couple of people more trickled in. I watched the trailers, you know, Ferdinand, A Wrinkle in Time, Sherlock, Nomeo, or whatever it is. Um, Sherlock Gnomes? Gnomes? I don't know. Um, I wasn't paying attention. So... The I know this the frozen deal is coming. It goes up on the screen and it says Una Navidad de Olaf de Frozen. <laughs> Something like that. And I was like, okay. So it starts and it is in Spanish. The characters are speaking in Spanish, which is um even more so than than Norwegian peoples or or I guess Scandinavian peoples, whatever they are, speaking in English. It's even more distracting when they're speaking in Spanish for some reason. <laughs> um, even more culturally strange to witness. Um, so I pull up my phone and I'm like, well, so I got my movie times from IMDb. There's no, no weird labeling or anything on there. It just says 8 o'clock. So I go to the AMC website and it says Spanish subtitle. So I'm like, all right, okay. They they dubbed the Frozen one in Spanish because it was going to be on TV so they could do it on Telemundo or Univision or whichever one's owned by Disney. Um, but then the the movie is going to be regular standard English track with Spanish subtitles. Like, you know, it's a little bit annoying, but not a big deal. Whatever. I'm just going to see the movie anyway. So the movie starts and we see I see these beautiful visuals of these hanging flags um, that are animated and come to life and still in Spanish. So I didn't end up seeing Coco, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> I did see the entirety of the Olaf Frozen special um, in Spanish. I mostly got the gist of the story. It, it seems as though it's not deep. Anna and I mean, <laughs> Anna and Elsa were sad they didn't have any Christmas traditions. Okay. Um. So Olaf went to find a bunch of Christmas traditions from them, and ended up with a fruitcake that's stolen. Spoiler. Stolen. <laughs> oh, he's. Ends up with a fruitcake stolen by an eagle, and then he's chased by Hawk, but that's fine. Ju- by angry prairie dogs <laughs> that are supposed to be wolves. Yes, through yes. the forest, they find him. Um, as a quick aside, I would like to say that it remains that Sven the reindeer is the best character in Frozen and anything around Frozen. <laughs> Accurate. Okay. Surprisingly, you you pulled more from it than I did, and I saw it in English. So Trevor, what what ends up being the tradition? The tradition was was Olaf the snowman, right? Because of the song. Yes. Way to go. Yeah. Were the songs in Spanish too? Oh yes, they were with different vocalists. <laughs> it's, they didn't even they didn't even have Idina Menzel and Kristen Bell learn Spanish for this. Adela yeah, Dazim. I mean, you can't afford those people to learn Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably true. I, I I'll jump in because I feel like. 
I don't know. I'm going to guess by the way that you guys are talking that you guys aren't big fans of the original movie Frozen, if I'm not mistaken, right? So I, think- I, I was pleasantly surprised. Like it's it's a perfectly fine Disney animated princess themed movie. It's fun. Like I, I don't hate on it. I don't understand why people freak out about it and think it's the best thing in the world. But like there's nothing wrong with Frozen. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's it's fine. It's fun. It's got a, an above average soundtrack as far as Disney films go, um, and it's got a a catchy pop song as its lead single. Yeah, um, like any good album. So, so yeah, I, I don't I don't dislike Frozen. I, I don't okay. understand the hype, but I don't dislike it. Um. I actually, when Frozen first came out, I, I was a big, big fan. I think I ended up seeing it like three times in theaters. Um, and I've seen it performed live at Disneyland. I've seen the Broadway play in Denver. You I like Frozen quite a bit. tattoo of Elsa having oh gosh, her moment. Jake. Oh, okay. Sorry. It does say let it go. Um, <laughs> you know. It's fine. It was a drunken decision. We've all been there. You know, it, it's a bit of a fixer-upper. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Anybody get that one? It's a Frozen reference for all my Frozenites out there. We haven't all um, seen it seven times. <laughs> Wait till you have a kid. The enduring image to me of Frozen is my, like the song Let It Go being interspersed with with Elsa building a frozen castle while Dr. Manhattan is building a yes. blue castle on Mars. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what I, I like can't separate those images in my brain. Yeah. So as somebody who's a fan of frozen, this was wholly unnecessary. Um, there is like that magic of the winning that first time when you watch frozen, you're like, man, this is fun. Like this is like old Disney brought back on the big screen. Like this is what, we grew up loving in Disney and their musicals. Um, none of that magic was there. There was like, I think I laughed at like one part and it was the fruitcake bit when he eats it and it just falls straight through him. That was pretty funny. I'll give him that. Um, I, the end kind of gets there a little bit. Like the, when you find out that Olaf is the surprise, you're kind of, they're kind of getting there. And that song's, almost there but it never reaches that level of like yeah this is what we would expect the same high level the same caliber as the original frozen like nothing there is that magic of that first time when you watch frozen see what this is is really i'm actually kind of glad because they could have turned this plot into an hour and a half fairly easily oh gosh um so this what saved this us is, from is frozen we, too I was gonna say it saved us from Lion King one and a half, Bell's Enchanted Christmas, Return of Jafar, whatever the the '90s straight to VHS bad sequels they had going on. <laughs> this could have been worse, I guess. But yeah. then I wouldn't have had to watch it if it was a straight to VHS sequel. What's funny this is over like in the UK, four, this is playing songs. in. Fr- yeah, five songs in twenty-two minutes, plus reprises of each of those songs. So <laughs> feel about that how you may. And none of them are like catchy. Like, could you guys see, like when you walk out of the theater seeing Frozen for the first time, you can probably sing a couple of songs, or at least like the chorus from them. Can you oh, guys yeah. tell me a single song that was in this? I, I'm not sure that I'm able to speak to that. That's, that's fair, Trevor. 
I passed out from rage um, within like 10 minutes. Um, No, I mean, I painfully watched the whole thing and I don't remember anything about it. All righty. (laughs) What's funny is this is getting, this is playing, since Coco is not getting released till January in the UK, this is playing in front of a re-release of Frozen. So you're going to watch this and then watch Frozen in the UK. That's so stupid. There's... No respect for chronology anymore. <laughs> Just get it right, Disney, okay? No, but for uh, real. Like, this <laughs> This is amateur hour at the highest yeah. extent. This is lazy. This almost ruined Coco for me. Like, I had this... the worst taste in my mouth for, like, th- the first 30 minutes of the film. Um, this, this, I think, is a symbol that the original spirit and creative energy of Pixar is dead. Pixar is dead. It is a wing of Disney now. I just, yeah, I don't, th- well, I we think they were may just be talking some, okay. uh, some new creative leads. At, well, uh, that's probably Disney, true. Yeah. Which is yeah. something we can talk about here in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. That's this. We were just talking two weeks ago about how Disney does everything right and always makes the right decision. And I feel like, they were trying to prove us wrong with doing this. I, I just don't understand <laughs> the thought process. They, uh, from what I hear, Bob Iger does listen to our podcast. So he probably heard that. and was like, that's, oh, I need to let him down really quick. We're about to do something different. A, he's an, he's an honorary, honorable mensch, Bob Iger. Okay. I, let's go ahead and get on to the okay. So wait, wait, before we get to actual Coco, did you guys have a uh, I don't know what to like a thank you or like a how we made this in front yeah. of Coco with Lee Unkridge? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was what the I, heck. It, it seems like it's happening more and more. This thank you for seeing our movie in theaters kind of message. And that, it showed like before felt, that Baby felt like Driver Disney this year. Being like we need a palate cleanser. After, like, because could you imagine going straight out of the short frozen like uh, credits into Coco? I especially that made me matter than Olaf's frozen adventure because that, like, there's this shot in the film which we'll talk about that is this should be this jaw dropping shot, yeah, and the whole little like how we made this is about that shot and it ruins it. Yeah, they just give it away. It'd be like if you walk yeah. into Force Awakens and spoiler alert, I'm about to spoil a huge thing in Force Awakens. Before the film, Harrison Ford's up there and he's like, you know, I just wanted to thank everybody for my last film uh, in the Star Wars franchise. It's been a great thing playing Han Solo. Um, the scene that me and Adam Driver filmed together was just really emotional. And when he kills me, it, it, you know, that's what it felt like. It feels like that. To where it's like, why, why, what? That's yeah. honestly how you want to introduce us to this film is by giving away this shot that you're insanely proud of. Like, there's no punch when you actually see it then in the movie. Yeah, I feel like it, it's it was like a weird compensation for not having that that nice little delightful Pixar short, which is like a it's like a perfect little appetizer before you get into your your Pixar film, and it it, it works so well. And instead, this time it's like someone gave us like a like a Burger King sack as our appetizer. <laughs> <And> then, 
Once uh, we got to the movie, we weren't even hungry for the good food because we already ate the garbage. Oh, yeah. man. Trevor, you just nailed it on the head, but unfortunately, <laughs> I think that's the last that we have from you until content of the of the week. That's true. Um, maybe someday I'll see Coco and I can tweet it out or something. The good news is you have a movie podcast where you can give us a quick update once you see it. And you're about to have a kid that will love animated movies, hopefully. That's true. So, Trevor, uh, we are going to review Coco and then we will get back to you when we do our content of the week at the end. Sounds good. All right, well, let's get to our review of Coco, the new film from Pixar directed by Lee Unkrich and uh, also co-directed by Adrian Molina, which I don't know. It's interesting because on the title, it would it continuously said Lee Unkrich director co-directed Adrian Molina. So, like, Jake, do you have any like insider knowledge as to why it would be director and then co-director? I knew this at some point. But I don't know it now. <laughs> so okay. sorry. It's it's something Pixar does on a lot of their films. If you go to IMDb and look up any Pixar film, there's more than likely a director and then one, if not two, co-directors. It very rarely is just one person directing it, just because there's so many aspects. But I'm in, I'm I'm curious, and I don't have the answer as to why one's a director and one's a co-director. I wonder if it's like a director and a junior director. Um. But yeah, this cast is amazing. There's so many people um, and good on Pixar for getting a full um, Latino cast in this film and not, I mean, other than John Ratzenberger, who's been in every single Pixar film, but everybody else is Latino and that's the way it should be for a film like this. Um, But Coco tells, uh, according to IMDb, it's the story of an aspiring musician, Miguel, confronted with his family's ancestral ban on music and enters the land of the dead to work out the mystery. Um, this film is now the highest grossing film of all time in Mexico and it did pretty great at the box office. Yeah. Not surprised. It's been out for about a month now in Mexico. I think, I think it came out in late October. Um, and the frozen short, uh, was taken off of it. I think within the first week because people were so upset about that. Not rightfully so. (laughs) Um, but yeah, let's, let's give our general thoughts as to this film. So Jake, what do you, what do you think of this movie? Yeah. Um, so this is a fun family and like family themed film with awesome visuals, fantastic original music and some pretty solid storytelling. Um, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was watching a Disney movie, uh, as this fell short of the quality and the type of film that I'm expecting from Pixar. Maybe it just took a little too long to get the horrible taste out of my mouth from that Frozen short because um, that seriously sucked and did a horrible job of setting up this film. Um, but I I really liked this movie. This was a fun movie, um, lighthearted. They did a really good job. Uh, and But I do stand by what I said earlier is that you know the original spirit of Pixar to me is dead as this felt like a Disney movie and not a Pixar movie, which isn't a bad thing, but it left me a little disappointed. Yeah, and we should say that we're reviewing this movie on the heels of news coming out that John Lasseter, who was the original president uh, and uh, director of many Pixar films, it coming out that um, multiple women have come forward that he had sexually abused them in some form and he is stepping down 
and taking a sabbatical or I don't know the exact way that he's phrasing it, but he will be out of the light at Pixar for about six months. Whether or not he ends up coming back is another story. I am kind of, and he, well, he also is now the head of Disney animation. So he is over all of Disney films. Um, incredibly upsetting to hear this news come out. and uh, It's just frustrating uh, to have his name attached to so many films. Um this is now the reputation that he has. And apparently this has been the reputation he's had behind the scenes for years now. And that's so troubling and just disheartening. Um, um, Coco as a film, I think should be celebrated for a lot of reasons outside of all of that. Jake, I'm with you. I don't know if this movie was slow to start because of the frozen short before it. Or if it's just a slow movie to start anyways. I kind of think it's a slow movie to start anyways because it kind of has to introduce us to this family, this world, the dynamics, um, and set a lot of things up. And I think that feels very Disney-esque. Like, there's a lot of Disney films that kind of take a while to get going. Once they get going, they're classics. Um, I think for me, like, I have problems with pacing with this film. We'll, We'll talk more about later. But I think the reason that I had a problem with it in this, like Wally, the first 20 minutes of Wally is a silent short film that gives you all the exposition you need with like still being totally delightful, totally entertaining, just a joy to watch. Whereas this almost felt like 20 minutes of just like exposition dump, like very Disney style. It just felt, it just felt cheap. And that's not what you expect from Pixar. And I'm definitely holding this at a higher standard than I would if this was just some random blue sky or DreamWorks animation thing. But like, that's what Pixar has done is they've kind of put yeah. themselves on this pedestal. It's it's kind of like Apple, you know, like I'm, I've always been a huge fan of Apple, but now I'm like really disappointed in their products because I had them at the, like the gold standard. That was Apple. That was Pixar. And I've been let down by both. So I don't know if I sound really harsh in this review, it's just coming from a place of like love and respect from Pixar and them not meeting their standards. Right. And I mean, it should be said like we've, we did a whole episode on Pixar where we ranked every Pixar film. And I think even the lower Pixar films, we all, uh, us, including Trevor talked about how much we loved those. Like there's Pixar is, this is their 18th film. If I remember right. And they've knocked it out of the park on almost on a lot of them. Like they're batting over 750. I would say that most of their films are great. And even the ones that aren't great are still good and better than a majority of the animated films we see. Um, I think this film takes a while to get going. Once we get to the Miguel and Hector stuff, that's when it kind of takes off. And that's, I think where it finds its heart. If we could have shortened up that gap, like maybe 10 minutes before we get to that, um, then maybe that's a little bit better. But I think when this film's at its worst, it's one of the lower ranked Pixar films. When this film's at its best, it's a top five Pixar film. Um, if you just take the highlights of this movie, it's it's incredible. What they're able to do, they're sh- like the cinematography in here is beautiful. I know I was kind of harsh on that a little bit ago, but that's just because they gave away such a beautiful shot in a featurette before the movie that didn't need to happen like you can do that featurette without giving away that shot um but i think one of the things that 
I loved most about this film and, and something that Pixar is getting back to finally is that Pixar for the most part in their best films is in the business of framing complex issues in a ways that kids can understand them. Adults can appreciate them and both are able to find a way to talk about them. Um, and the, the biggest example of that obviously is going to be inside out where it's taking emotions, breaking them down into five simple characters and then presenting them in a way of this com this thing that's normally very complex of like, okay, it's okay to be sad. And sometimes happiness comes from sadness and sometimes sadness comes from happiness and anger comes from all these. I mean, it's a very complex thing, but this film gets into that aspect. Um, in a very interesting way, um, kind of, and I don't think this is spoilery. This may be spoilery to talk about this kind of theme, but kind of the thing they get into is how are you remem- remembered by your family? Like, what are you remembered for? Who you're remembered by? What happens when those people that know you leave? Are, they, are like, how are you going to be remembered? Like, are you going to be remembered? And that's, that's a very complex thing for kids to grasp. But I think in this way where they're able to frame death, this way they're able to explore that. And I think that's pretty cool to explore that side of, okay, well, here's, here's what that looks like. How are you going to be remembered? I know I've been ranting for a while, but that aspect of it is something that I totally agree. Yeah. That aspect of it is something that I've been thinking about just a lot lately as a parent just of, okay, what, how do I want my son to know me? Like what, if I put my best foot forward, you know, who do I want to be to him? What do I want to leave him with whenever I leave? Yeah. Um, and so this that definitely hit, made me want to call my grandparents. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Call your grandparents, call your family. It's one of those films you walk out of and you like text your parents. And you're like, Hey, love you guys. Just so you know, yeah. like, um, so yeah, I think when this film's at its best, it's a top five Pixar film. When it's at its worst, it's a bottom five. And that's, Ultimately, where I sit is it's kind of, it's a very roller coastery film for me. Its highs are very high and its lows are very low. And when I say lo- very low, I mean like it's still good even at those lows. Pixar standards. We're grading. Yes, we're grading on a curve. Grading on. Yeah, the we're grading on. <laughs> and it's sad because like this year for, I, I mean, I'll speak for myself, Jake. I think you fall into the same boat, but I love animated films, and this year has been a very poor year for animated films. Yeah. Um, I mean, Disney, if you look at so the, all they have this year, Disney animation themselves isn't even putting anything out this year. The last thing they put out was, which was Moana, which came out last year and is amazing. If you haven't seen Moana, please go see it. It's fantastic. It's on Netflix. You can, that's better than Frozen. Um, is the this, only other thing. Is this better than Moana or is Moana better than this? Moana is better than this. Moana's, I, I think Moana, well, okay, I'm looking back now at um, Disney's past couple of years of stuff they've put out. And if you just look at what Disney's put out, I mean, so Frozen, Big Hero 6, Wreck-It Ralph. I mean, Disney's kind of been on a hot streak lately. I think, I honestly think that when Disney acquired Pixar, there was a strategy to pull creative talent from Pixar into Disney. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, John Lasseter, I mean, we, we already talked about all the stuff that he's been involved with negatively, but his focus is not the creative culture at Pixar anymore. It is right. 
overall Disney creative. Um, and yeah. a big part of that being the large money-making wing of Disney, Disney animation and the parks. Like that's his big focus now. Yeah. Disney's Oh, and Zootopia as well. Um, yeah. Disney's been killing it. Whereas Pixar's last, if you go back to their last five films, it's inside out, good dinosaur, finding Dory cars, three and Coco. So maybe their best, one of their best films in inside out and one of their, lowers in cars three and then you get middle of the roads and good dinosaur and finding dory but yeah i think and then they also have a ton of stuff pixar has got incredibles 2 toy story 4 and a couple other original films coming out in a couple of years um towards disney has wreck it ralph 2 ralph breaks the internet great <laughs> um, fantastic fantastic but yeah, so let's go ahead and get into spoilers. If you haven't seen this film, go see it. It's a great film. Just show up 30, 45 minutes. I'd say 30 just to be safe. I think mine was 35 minutes. Show up 35 minutes. Show up 30 minutes late. You can avoid the frozen short. Just walk into Coco. And if you want, I'll tell you all the trailers. Just tweet me and I'll tell you all the trailers and you can go YouTube them because there's nothing that plays in front of this that you can't find online. Um, Okay, so Jake, you talked a little bit about your problems with the pacing of this film. Yeah. My big, I think that's my biggest complaint besides the frozen thing, which I, I know I'm just like ranting constantly about that, but like it was seriously terrible and like super threw me off for the rest of the movie. Like I, yeah, I, it, okay, I'm done. I'm done. Um, but no, but it is, it is an aspect of the review is, you know, it's, if we were going to go into see a movie and you found out some sort of terrible news right before it, your view and the lens through which you are viewing that movie is skewed. Like you're not going into it with a fresh mind. You're going into it having just received bad news. And that's part of the review is what mindset are you going into it in? Yeah, I I just can't believe that business and creative decision by Disney. It makes zero sense. Um, But, I mean, like I said before, it it really feels like it takes almost 45 minutes for, or even an hour for this film to, like, really get going. When's that point for you? Like, what what, what scene were you like, okay, now we're humming? Um, When we were in the Land of the Dead... And he like runs away from his family and starts like basically character development, like basically yeah. starts the development of the plot. And we're interacting with new characters and we're learning more about the new characters. And we're, yeah, I mean th- like, and it's, it's a pretty short film. Like it's only an hour 45 and I mean, nothing really happens. That's like key to the plot for the first 45 minutes to an hour besides him going into the land of the dead and like it's being a lot of mad setups. at his family. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it is just a lot of setups, which I understand it's the beginning of the film, but I had also been sitting there for 45 minutes by the time the movie started. So right. I was <laughs> So you're an hour and a half stuff in to happen. Yeah. And waiting, yeah. No, that's totally understandable and I think that's I think we're on the same page cuz I think that's where um Hector and Miguel kind of link up and that's, I I think that's where it gets going. So, um, let's talk a little bit about 
the so we already said spoilers, right? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Did we already say yeah, spoilers? Yeah, we're in spoilers. Okay. Did you feel like the story was too familiar? Like, do you feel um I tried going online to get a gist of how this film was being received overall. And the the biggest complaint that I kept seeing from people was that it felt too familiar. Like it felt like it was taking pieces from um like there are elements that feel very similar to other Pixar and Disney films. It's like were you too did you feel it was too familiar? I think that's part of me saying it feels like a Disney film is like the twist kind of got me. I wasn't like mind blown by it. Yeah. But it, it did just kind of feel like typical Disney, like kids' journey of self discovery involving some sort of dead or missing parent. Oh wow, we're in this unexpected world of whatever that might be. What's gonna happen? Drama, conflict ensues. Oh, perfect resolution, uh reveal that this guy was actually the bad guy all along and the bad guy is actually the good guy. Yeah. Happy family. Yeah, that you know. That was very it was one of those things where it was like the I think the twist half got me in I don't think anybody was sitting in the theater being like, Ernesto de la Cruz is a great guy. Like, I don't think yeah. anybody felt that way. Um, but the fact that Hector was actually his grandpa, that part did kind of get me. Um, which is interesting because that's actually given away. I read this article and that's actually given away very early on in the movie. The guitar has a golden tooth on the neck of it. And mm-hmm. Uh, Hector has a golden tooth as well. So good on you, Pixar, for slipping that in there and fooling a lot of us with that. Um, I think I think this story works ultimately because of, and th- this this is where I'm conflicted. I talked a lot, we, and we've talked a lot about how the first half of this movie feels very slow. But I think the reason why this movie gets so emotional at the end is because of that setup at the beginning. So I'm curious to go back and watch it with the knowledge that we have now and the feelings that we have now based off of that, because I'm curious if that front half plays better with that. I mean, the whole first half I'm sitting there going like the film's titled Coco after this grandma yet. We don't see her at all. Um, and then at the end you're like, Oh, now I understand why it's called Coco. Yeah. There's the protagonist antagonist relationship here is kind of weird like it's not really straightforward like for a little while i thought that like miguel was the antagonist and the family were the protagonists and then it was like okay now is this hector's story is miguel just like a passenger that us as the viewer is like carried through i i don't know it was um it was a little all over the place in terms of like characters and and plot um yeah i don't know i i i sound like i'm ragging on this film constantly um it's a like no, i th- i think i'm more frustrated out of like i saw i i see a lot of potential in it and it didn't yeah. quite hit the potential that i was expecting one thing i will say the music in this movie is incredible this mm-hmm. is some of the best music in a long time especially out of pixar I give a lot of credit for that to Disney. I bet Disney was heavily involved in the music of this film. Has um, Pixar ever done a musical? Mm, like a straight up musical. 
I don't think. I guess so. this isn't a straight up musical like Lion King or something, but yeah, I don't know. I, think, I mean, cause it's, like Toy Story it's two good. has that like Jesse. Um, what's that song that Jesse sings? When I was loved or whatever, something like that. Yeah, and that song breaks your heart every um, time. Where were you at at the end of this movie emotionally? Because I've talked a little bit about like curious of how much of like the whole remember me thing hit with people not the Um, song remember me but like the actual theme of like being remembered right i i wasn't like on the verge of tears like i am with a lot of pixar movies but i i definitely was at a point of like oh wow that's that's sweet and that's like the takeaway (laughs) of the film clearly um, of remember me and the the importance of, of family and love and honoring those that have come before you. And, and, um, but honestly, like I kind of, I kind of just left the theater just kind of being like, okay, <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Um, and that was my curiosity was how much of this was me personally relating to it and how much of it was the actual power of the film. Uh, I know that song at the end probably emotionally resonated when Miguel comes back and sings the remember me and Coco starts singing with him. Oh yeah. Uh, that cause that that's, that's pretty, that's a pretty powerful sing or uh, scene. I was going to say song and then scene and then it ended up being sing. They were that's singing. not what I meant. They were singing. Yeah. It's a pretty powerful thing. It's a <laughs> powerful thing that the got's going on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think ultimately this film ends up kind of being a, at least right now, and this is me going back, um, you know, because Pixar films are one of those things that it's like the more you watch it, the better they get. Um, I think right now this is, at least for me, this ranks kind of middle of the road Pixar for me. Where is this on your rankings of Pixar films? Yeah. Um, probably like lower middle. Like out of the eighteen they've made, I would probably put it in like twelve, eleven, maybe maybe thirteen. I don't know. I need to look back on my on my rankings to make that decision. Um, yeah. Well, we'll do another rankings episode here soon on Pixar. We'll oh, just go through it again. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I I also want to give like the the context of it. I don't know if this movie is for us. Like I'm not the target market of this movie. I'm, I'm a mid to upper twenties married with no kids, white guy from the United States of America. Um, if, if you are a parent or if you have any connection to the, the Mexican Latino culture, and if you're a kid, like this film is the, the Moana to the Mexican culture, like kids that have any Latino heritage are going to watch this and like have such an ownership of mm-hmm. this is us. This is our culture that like, and just be proud of it. How you saw a lot of Pacific Islanders after Moana came out or, or Mulan, like um, it's, it's a love letter to those cultures in a way that only Disney and Pixar can do. And so, um, we, like I said, I'm not the target market for this film. I enjoyed this film. Um, but yeah, I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but I think you understand what I'm saying. No, I think you, I think you spoke 
very well at that just now. And I think that you, I think you summed up how I feel as well. So yeah, good job. Um, let's go ahead and just get to our ratings. Cause I think we've kind of talked about the ups and downs of this movie and we both obviously like it, but, uh, where's, what do you end up giving this film? Yeah. Um, I complained a lot about it, but I'm still pretty high on it. Like, like you said, Cameron animation, I love good animation and we haven't had a lot of it this year. Um, and so this, this was a treat to watch. It's, it's Pixar and Disney and they don't make bad stuff, even if it is sometimes a little disappointing. Um, animation is great. It's not mind blowing and doesn't take like a next level step. Like most Pixar films do still fantastic. Uh, beautiful story, incredible music. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give, okay. I'm going to give it two grades. I'm going to give Coco the film itself a B plus. I'm going to give Disney and the way it distributed it and the way it played in the theater a D minus because that that frozen thing like I was I literally had a horrible taste in my mouth for like 45 minutes into Coco and yeah that like really I think that really affected the way I watched the film um or the way I it just really affected my viewing experience so do you think you'll watch it again when it comes out on DVD if it's like on Netflix or something, like yeah, I'll probably watch it again with with my wife or something. But um, I just cannot believe that Disney made that decision. That's that's a terrible decision. Um, so yeah, but the film itself, did I say B plus? I think B. You plus. said B plus. Yes. B plus. Yes. Coco B plus. Well done, Disney and Pixar. I was a little disappointed, but my standards are ridiculous. So there you go. I mean, as they should be, Pixar is known for being the cream of the crop when it comes to animation. And, you know, very rarely do they let us down, um, which is why this film, this film's I'm, I'm pretty high on this film. And I saw it two days ago. Yeah, two days ago. And I've thought about it quite a bit since then. The songs, if you go to like Spotify or wherever you listen to music, are very short, which is very unfortunate. Um, when you're trying to, when you want to listen to them and just kind of sit back. Um, but I'm going to give this film an A it's slow to start, but once it gets going and it kind of finds its rhythm, um, the payoffs are very well done. It it, it packs an emotional punch. Um, and I think when it's going at its best, it's a top five Pixar film. Um, so Yeah. That's all we have for our review of Coco. All right, well, let's get to our content of the week. Jake, what is your content of the week? So my content of the week is another podcast called The Adventure Zone. This is something that kind of came out of nowhere for me, did not expect to enjoy it at all. But it's these three brothers and their dad all playing Dungeons and Dragons together. <laughs> and they are hysterical. They, they have other podcasts where they are like just them being hilarious. Um, and it is amazing. Uh, it's really funny. It really makes me want to play Dungeons and Dragons. But uh, it's just like really fun to listen to if while you're driving. It's, I would highly recommend it. The first episode takes a little time to get going because they have to like set it up. 
Um, but it is really, really funny, really good. I'm a big fan. The Adventure Zone. Awesome. Trevor, what is your content of the week? Jake has got to stop recommending podcasts because I already have too many to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> this is no good. Sorry. Um, mine, if you... <laughs> As, as we know, I didn't see Coco, but if you, based on what I know of Coco, if you liked Coco, you might also like Kubo and the Two Strings, oh. which is a beautifully stop-motion animated film that came out last year, directed by Travis Knight, the son of Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. It also has a um, wonderful cover version of While My Guitar Gently Weeps, performed by Regina Spector. Um, but Kubo and the Two Strings is a great movie about music and family and um, coming of age and um, being courageous. Uh, so, and, and we also, um, fun fact, we recorded a test podcast episode while reviewing this film that may be released someday to like the third or fourth tier of Kickstarter donors. Yes, oh. that, that could happen. We have a Kickstarter? Surprise! I mean, we could. We could. <laughs> hey, by the way, we uh, we have one week left in our Kickstarter. Uh, we haven't told anybody about it yet. We have nobody donated. <laughs> but if you want to support us, no, I'm kidding. We don't have a Kickstarter. Um, okay, so on the line of things that relate to this, um, one of my favorite films is a film called Pan's Labyrinth, which is on the spectrum of kids to adults on the opposite end of where this sits. It's a very adult fairy tale, but um, I couldn't help feel that same way as I was watching that of this Mexican fairy tale that you get in watching this movie and um, just such rich culture and just such there's so much history and there's so much family um, and it just kind of reminded me of that and it's one of my favorite films and if you haven't seen it you should it's one of Guillermo del Toro's best um, but the other thing is I watched a film this week called Jim and Andy about Jim Carrey and Andy Kaufman on Netflix. And it's half a Jim Carrey documentary and half a Man on the Moon documentary, which Man on the Moon is the biopic that Jim Carrey made uh, of the comedian Andy Kaufman back in the 90s and early 2000s. I can't remember. And uh, this documentary is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. If you're somebody like me who grew up loving Jim Carrey, it is fascinating to just get in his head and hear him it's just him kind of just talking about making this movie and how he got his start and where he was at in his career and I mean he went full method playing this guy and it's just it's a fascinating watch if you like Jim Carrey it's well worth it um but that is all we have for this week's episode of Popcorn Optional. If you've enjoyed listening to us tonight, please go uh, find us on iTunes, like us, subscribe to us, tell your friends about us. That's the best way for us to grow is by word of mouth. Um, and you were recommending us. Uh, if you like this, tell a friend about it. Um, whoever you go to see a movie with, tell them, hey, these guys are going to put out a podcast this week about this. Go listen to it. If you want to interact with us more, you can either do that on our Twitter at Popcorn Optional, on our Facebook at Popcorn Optional, or on our website at popcornoptional.com. My name is Cameron Selena. You can find me online at 321 Time. Jake, where can we find you online? JakeBrown.tv. Trevor? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at TurboTrevor. Awesome. Well, that is all we have for now. We will be back next week, but until next time, pop, pop, pop.